Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. If you have the time, you can not only listen to the episodes, but you can also watch all the shows and you'll find the links in the description below. Thank you. Welcome to Series 3 of the Tim Hill Podcast. The last two series have been all about me. In this new series, it's going to be all about other people. I'm going out to interview people to get their life stories. I think it's going to be a fascinating journey. Thank you for listening. Okay, so if you'd like to start. So Tim, um, my name's Andy Fenner. I work for the Sea Cadets now, but before that I was in the Royal Navy. But if we go right back, I guess, to when I was born, I was born in 1965 in June of 1965, and my parents lived in the centre of London at that time. Uh, my dad was a, a young curate. He was a curate at All Souls in Langham Place, which is just by the BBC television centre. And for a couple of years, um, lived in um, a little flat above a youth club, which he was running as part of his ministry. I vaguely remember being taken for walks in a pram in Hyde Park, but I don't really remember much about London because when I was about three um, he got a job as a vicar in Cambridge, so we moved to Cambridge, and you might think, lovely, um, leafy glades and colleges, all nice and, nice and posh. But we were in the sort of rough end of town, the workers' end of town, where the railway workers, when they laid the railway line, had all lived, so fairly close together, almost slum houses, back-to-back streets, shared archways through to gardens at the back. But we lived in a vicarage on the side of the church and had a, a, not only our own garden, but a big church garden at the back of that, so lots of room to play outdoors. When we were younger, I had two more sisters and a brother, so there were four of us in all uh, over the next four or five years, six years. Does that make you the oldest? So I'm the I'm the oldest of four, yeah. Um, and my youngest sister's about seven years younger than me. <clears throat> so we all uh, went to the local infant schools. Funnily enough, um, I was back in Cambridge a couple of weekends ago, and I went for a little bit of a walk round to see some of the old haunts and... Uh, my infant school has gone and is now houses, and my junior, my first junior school has also gone and is now houses, so I'm not quite sure where everyone goes to school anymore. Uh, and most of my memories of my younger days were of sort of extended holidays down in Cornwall because Dad ran a little um, Christian beach mission, um, which he got sort of permission to be away from Cambridge for, so he did that for two weeks, um, services on the beach every day and activities in the afternoon. And then we tagged on our family holiday two weeks after that. So we spent a month of August in Cornwall for the best part of six, seven, eight years, which is, which is really stuck in my mind. One of, the, one of the sort of happiest times of childhood was just playing on the beaches all day long, camping in tents on a farmer's field and um, just, just relaxing. It was always sunny. And if it wasn't, there was always deck chairs that you could make a tent out of. <clears throat> so local schools up until the age of about um, eight or nine. And then I got a, got a, try out for a quite a posh school I suppose a private school um, slightly further outside of Cambridge and was lucky enough to get a one of the last free places that the, the last Tory governments were giving out before Labour came in in the late 70s um, which paid for my schooling at this private school all the way through to 18 so I went to a pretty good uh, very sporty a lot of drama uh, good teaching high standards I wasn't great but I managed to get through it all but it but thoroughly enjoyed myself there so that was at the Perse School in Cambridge and um, 
every other person in my year, or boys' school, every other boy in my year, were, were aiming at university, aiming at university entry when it came to sort of sixth form time. And I had enjoyed being in the cadet force, uh, the naval section of the cadet force all the way through school. Loved sailing, really enjoyed um, family holidays, sailing uh, in mirror dinghies. And I also was quite interested in electronics, sort of hobby electronics, soldering and kits in those days. So I was looking for something that would allow me to combine um, sailing and electronics and um, managed to find a branch of the Royal Navy that was called Weapon Engineering, which is all about um, electronics and, and um, the stuff that interested me. So I applied and thankfully got in. Did you come in as a rating or did you come in as an officer? No, I joined as an officer. Um, I joined with the A-levels I needed to come in as an officer and I then went and did an engineering degree with the Navy while I was in the Navy. They had their own um, Naval Engineering College in those days. So I had thought about joining uh, earlier, slightly younger as a, as a rating, but was encouraged by both school and family to stay on, do my A-levels and then try the interview process for officer. So I, I got on the train to... Topness, September 1983, with a load of other youngsters in ill-fitting suits and carrying raincoats and umbrellas, and got off the bus at Topness and got to the Naval College and pretty much loved what I was doing then for the next 32 years. Trained as an electronic engineer, specialised in um, radios, radars, computers, sonars, missile systems, gunnery systems, that kind of thing, and served at sea in, in several ships for several deployments. Brilliant. So what brought you then into retirement and the sea cadets? Well, I wasn't, I wasn't really looking to retire, Tim. I was I turned 50. I was, I'd done all the jobs I thought I could do at sea on a number of different ships, including the latest Type 45 destroyers firing the newest missile systems, hitting the target. You know, that was about as good a day at the office as it got. Um and I'd had a good good spell um, in Fairham, in one of the naval bases there, um, running the day-to-day activities, and probably would have carried on doing headquarters jobs until I, I timed out. But a good friend of mine, who is currently the captain of the Sea Cadet Corps, phoned me while I was on leave, and I came back from leave to about 20 recorded messages, uh, and was going through really deleting them all, and just happened to listen to his, because I know him. And he said the Sea Cadets uh, were looking for someone to help them operate a fleet of ships. And um, would, would I be interested? And I did a bit of research and digging and found out that this fleet of ships just happens to be based in my hometown of Gosport, happens to be based in Fort Blockhouse, what was HMS Dolphin, which is right next door to my own sailing club, Hornet Services Sailing Club. And the ships were pretty special. Um, the Royalist, which is the pirate-looking ship, twin-masted square rigger. Uh, two 24-metre motor vessels and two were Tradewind 35 yachts based at Hornet and they're now Rustler 42 yachts. So <clears throat> that sounded right up my street because I've always enjoyed teaching uh, sailing. I like being out on the water. I could cycle to the job. And um, as a kid, as a sort of teenager, 15, 16, I had done a voyage on the Sir Winston Churchill, which was the Sail Training Association sailing ship at the time and enjoyed climbing and going out in the yards and setting the sails and being at sea and peeling the spuds and that's the kind of thing that we do with the young people we give them a life-changing experience on the water so a couple of interviews later a bit of a nervous gap between the two I was offered the job and that was um, nearly five years ago and you're still doing the job and still doing the job although 
been pretty tricky in the last year. Trying to get residential activities for youngsters has been a no-no during the pandemic, but we've even worked around that to find a way of taking them to sea for the day um, on the weekends and in the school holidays so that their education is not disrupted and they don't have to sleep on board. It's not quite the full package that we would want to deliver, but we hope that by the end of next year, um, with the vaccines prevailing, we might be in a position to do that. But certainly over the last last five years, it's been a ball. Um, 60 young people every week uh, get a life-changing experience on the water from March to November. I've got 19 staff who deliver that and I go out to see and help them from time to time. Um, so I take command of a warship, little mini motor vessel, or uh, learn the ropes on the square rig ship or skip of the yacht for them whenever the need arises. So can you describe to me a bit more about Royalist? I noticed that a, a few years ago they changed Royalist for a new one. Can you tell me, were you around at the time that that happened? So I, I arrived um, beginning of 2016, and that was just as the, the new Royalist was sort of bedding down and settling in for her first full season. The original, we don't say the old, we say the original Royalist um, was the first sail training vessel built for the UK for many, many, many years and had a successful career, but was beginning to show her age. So the Sea Cadets or the Marine Society and Sea Cadets, which is their full name, uh, launched a fairly big campaign to raise the £5 million necessary to have their own flagship, if you like, recreated, built in a modern style, similar traditional look, but built from steel, designed on computer, um, the hull form tested in a, in a towing tank and the rig tested in a wind tunnel, all the things you couldn't do sort of 60 years ago. Uh, and, the, and the result is a beautiful vessel, which we really enjoy taking to sea. And uh, when we do get a chance to race with our tool ships colleagues, we absolutely wipe the floor with them because of how well she's been built. Uh, so she's a very stable platform. Uh, it's, it's pretty much downwind, offwind sailing. So for those people who like pulling their heads all in tight and beating to windward, that's not our game. Uh, you can't point to windward in a square rigger. So you have to be very clever about where you're going to sail, how you're going to use the wind. Uh, and tacking is a team effort. It takes all 24 young people to swing the yards round on the different masts in the right sequence to alter the point of, of um, effort such that the, the brig will tack uh, all the opposite wearing which is what we call jibing you get it wrong she uh, hangs up in stays and sits there going backwards so it's a little bit of a throwback to the 1700s when the royal navy was the navy of sail how long did it take to to trade a, a crew of 24 up to sail her effectively so say you've got a tall ships race coming up how would you go about getting the the, the troops ready to do that so our, our normal um our normal programme then will be a six-week voyage. So the young people would join on a Saturday midday, having travelled all, from all around the UK, and they would leave the vessel the following Friday morning. So they would have basically six days to become a, a team. And there's a fairly intense training package on the Saturday and the Sunday. And then you'd normally go to sea on the Sunday for a couple of hours, just start gentle manoeuvres, come in each night, and then each day spend a little bit more time at sea and just get a little bit better. So by, by the Wednesday, Thursday, the cadets know what to do. They know what the orders mean, and they're, and they're beginning to understand how it makes the ship sail. For something like a tall ship's race, you, we would normally have a two-week period with the young people. So we wouldn't pre-train them. We wouldn't train them in advance. We would get them on a Saturday, but they would stay with us for two weeks, and the race would be timed so that that would be in the second week. 
And by the time they've got to that point, they know exactly what they're doing. They can do it well. They can stand watches. We can keep the vessel at sea then because we can make our own water and we can man the watches for the um, deck officers and the lookouts. And the cadets really enjoy that kind of thing because it's something they don't normally get to do. Okay. And for 2021, have you got any races planned for Um Sadly, no. Um, we we looked at, in fact, we would have gone, she was built in Spain, in La Coruña, and we, the tall ships races last year, which she was programmed for, would have taken her back down uh, to Coruña and indeed further down the Iberian Peninsula to Cadiz. But of course, they were cancelled because of the pandemic. They're going to put them on again next year, but it's a little bit too late in the year for us to be sure of getting back across Biscay. Uh, and we and we feel we need to get the vessels around the UK so that sea cadets who have spent most of the year 2020 doing stuff on computer or virtually, you know, as best they can, they actually want to get on board and, and, and do the activities they love. So we're going to spend next year going around the UK, visiting various ports, possibly 2022. There's some tall ships races up towards Denmark, Edgeburg, uh, and we might get involved in those. OK, looking at the other two warship type vessels that you have can you describe what goes on on those how many crew you get on a, a week uh, and what the program is for those sure so i think unusually we're probably the only provider of motor cruising uh, training to young people uh, in the country there's quite a lot of sail training charities but we have two uh, motor training ships jack petchy and john jerwood both named for uh, philanthropists who had made it big in the city and wanted to give money back, so they paid most of the funds for those two vessels. They're 24 metres long, so they fit into the 24-metre workboat code, which eases our uh, inspection regime. And each of them takes 12 cadets, has a crew of six adults. Uh, and again, they join on a Saturday and leave on a Friday. And apart from the fact that they roll like pigs in a beam sea, uh, they're great. They're little, as I say, pocket battleships. You can you can helm the ship. You can do the lookout duties. You can be the steward. You can help with the peeling the potatoes. The engineer always wants people to help down in the engine room. So for a youngster who's perhaps interested in engineering, but it's all on screen or on a, on a, a, a textbook, they can actually go and dip the oil. They can go and see what a vibration shot mount looks like. They can go and dip their rim. Um, dip the tanks every day. Brilliant. And what's the bridge like? What's the... Um, it's not It's not huge. Uh, we still use full-size Admiralty paper charts. We're just in the process of modernising so that we don't have to carry corrected paper charts. We're getting a, a, a charting system fitted, which is a, a downgraded version of what a big commercial ship would have. It's not a full uh, ECDIS system. It's a, a one that's licensed for sort of the fishing sector. And once we've got that fitted, we'll keep the charts for the cadets to learn on, but we won't have the two or three hours a week overhead of trying to diligently correct paper charts. So there's a chart table, full-size chart table at the back of the bridge, all of the navigation kit you'd expect, a couple of throttles at the front with the gauges for the engineer to stand, a wheel in the middle and the cadets steer the ship. They do it under our, our instructions, under our conning instructions, but they are the ones steering the vessel. And then there's the officer watch or captain's position with a pretty good view. Uh, and some radar screens to support them. A lookout either side who can report things to us if they want to or not if they don't. Um, that's how they learn. Normally they tell us something that has passed us as opposed to something that might hit us. But it's all part of learning uh, learning the ropes, I suppose. And do you find that the, the cadets that come onto the motor vessels, they 
wanted to come into the Royal Navy? Uh, we get a mix. We get a mix on all types of vessels. We tend to get the younger um, cadets, so from 12, they can come on the motor vessels. Uh, have to be 13 and a half to be on the sailing vessels. And, and some of them are not really thinking about a career. We get some who are 16, 17, know that they're finished in education and want to get onto a career. And we, we've got a pretty good track record of, of getting them the advice they need, either for the Merchant Navy, getting them into a Merchant Navy college, into a shipping line, or into the Fleet Auxiliary, or into the Royal Navy or Royal Marines themselves. So we get quite a few a year who know that that's what they want to do, and we'll, we'll do everything we can to help them. Fantastic. And what about the two Rustler 42? You've recently upgraded those from the old... Trade winds. Yeah, when I joined, we had uh, two trade wind yachts, um, Vigilant and City Liveryman, which are beautiful, you know, good ocean goers. Some of them went around the globe in the, in the recent recreation of an old race. But internally, accommodation-wise, you had the adults effectively sleeping in bunk beds in what was the children's toilet area. So if the kids wanted to have a wee in the night, they would be in the adult's bedroom. So from a child protection point of view, safeguarding, it, it wasn't really suitable. So again, fundraising um, campaign was launched. And, and this is in my time. We managed to secure the, the funding, firstly, from the Lord Mayor of the City of London. So the centre bit where all the banks are, thankfully. So the first of our Rustler 42s is called Training Ship City of London. Uh, and the second one, we were not doing so well on the fundraising. And one of our trustees went to see Stelios Hagiani. So Stelios Hagiani, who had set up EasyJet and asked him whether he might make a donation. So the second yacht is called Sir Stelios. He turns out to be a keen yachtsman himself. Rustler Yachts down in Falmouth uh, build beautiful yachts for uh, retired businessmen to impress their, their families. And they really bought into the idea of converting one of their designs for us, fitting it out with bunks for, for young people, carving out a second cabin for the uh, the mate, the adult mate uh, in the back, which was normally a lazarette. Uh, and that's given us a right, nice, bright, fresh, spacious, fast, safe, eye-catching um, pair of yachts, which operate around the UK, six cadets on each vessel, two adults on each vessel, and last year, when we were fully operating, 2019, they got as far as the Outer Hebrides, which I know you've been past, him, and it's a long way to go in a boat. It is a long way to go in a boat, and the weather isn't always kind to you up in Indeed. that part of the world. Indeed, you've got to pick, pick your we, windows. As we found out this year. <laughs> um, and I, I skip of those yachts. I've had an absolute ball in them, been into Fingal's Cave, down to the Channel Islands. It, 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 they're just great yachts and and we have them in some fairly eye-catching livery i appreciate that on a podcast you can't really uh, see the livery but if you ever see them you won't miss them one's yellow and green and one's light blue and dark blue with a sort of sea cadet branded uh, colors on the sides of the hull and what are the sails on them uh, so they are um cutters so they've got a um staysail um just after the jib so they have two headsails um, a Yankee, so it's cut very high, uh, so it's not called a jib or know, it's a very high cut sail. Um, so uh, we have a furling Yankee, then a staysail, which is a standard hanked on sail, uh, and then a Bermudan main after that. So that gives that gives enough winch work back off so that the six cadets have always got something to do because she'll also have running backstays to support the uh, the mast where the staysail is attached. So if you're if you're in a wind and you've got the backstays rigged as well, you're working at least six winches back aft each time you tack or jive. Fantastic. Is there anything that you'd like to incorporate in the future for your fleet of uh, vessels? 
Uh, so yeah, we're always looking for new ideas that we can adopt. Uh, we're, we're branching out into meteorology. The vessels are uh, fully fledged weather observation stations. So they take seawater temperatures, dew points, pressures, feed them back to uh, the Met Office who use them in their forecasts. And I'd also like to get some of the youngsters into learning to do coding and, and um, programming computers because there's a lot of that these days that's very easy to access with a, a Raspberry Pi or a little uh, single board computer. How do cadets go about getting a place to come down onto the, the ships? Yeah, good question. Um, so we've got, um, we publish a poster each year which goes out to the 400 sea cadet units around the country. And funnily enough, we're about to publish the poster for 2022 because we like to get bookings in uh, almost a year ahead. So we're assuming we'll be able to go ahead with residentials in 2022 and we're about to put the programme out. So they um, have a chat with their unit staff, look at a week that might work for them. Can be a school holiday week, in which case it's pretty straightforward. If it's a school week, then they're going to need to get permission from their school as well as from their parents. And uh, to do that, they probably need to have some kind of educational bargain with the school that if they do well in their exams, the school will be happy for them to take that week. We see it as a good thing, education outside the classroom. Most schools buy into that. Uh, but there are some years, obviously the options years, the GCSE years, where we tend not to see many cadets released uh, during the sort of exam season. But the younger ones or maybe the, um, the year 12 ones can, t can take advantage of that period. Is it just sort of the normal state type schools that you take or do you take CCF schools as well? The, uh, it's quite a mix. It, it's always good to get a mix of, of backgrounds, types, regional um, backgrounds and areas and locations on each voyage. And, and they very quickly realise that actually, although they might think they're different, they're all pretty similar. And I've had voyages with, with um, youngsters from inner city schools combined with, you know, choristers from, from private schools. And by the middle of the week, they're all playing, you know, as fast as you can on the, on the cabin table. We don't do as much, sadly, with the CCF um, as I would like to. I'm from the CCF background myself. Uh, funnily enough, we do a, a fortnight's voyage on Royalists with the ATC, with the Air Cadets. Um, and we've always done that. They pick their, their best 24 to send us. And we have a good time with them. We also do an exchange where we take 12 Canadian sea cadets on a voyage with 12 British sea cadets. Uh, and they have a good, uh, a good chance to learn about each other's culture. And is there any other criteria that the, the cadets need to be able to come down? And, and how's the selection done? Are but you oversubscribed? We are, we are. We've always got backups. Um, as I say, there's 24 places on Royalist, 12 on each power vessel and 12 on the yacht. So 60 spots a week. And a youngster can, with their parents, consent, book on in a provisional sense. Once they've made the payments and got the school consent forms, then they'll be confirmed. Um, if they break a leg a week before, unfortunately, they can't come with us, but we will always try and get them onto another voyage. Um, and if they can't, if they've got genuine hardship, and we'd, we'd normally know via the, via the unit if there was a case of financial hardship, then there's some bursary support that some of our charity colleagues can, can um, give them to offset the costs. And talking of costs, what are the rough costs for, uh, say, two weeks coming down or a week coming down for Royalist or a week coming down for one of the warships and a, war, uh, and a cost for the sailing vessels? So it's a, we make a standard cost, a standard charge, which um, the charity itself significantly um, uh, supports because we, we, in fact, in the last year, we were asking the cadets to pay £340 for a one-week voyage and that includes travel from anywhere in the UK 
to join the vessel and travel from anywhere in the UK to go home when leaving the vessel. Includes their food um, and obviously all the mooring fees, the fuel, the, the cost of running the vessel uh, and the paying of the staff. So um, no way in the world I could do that for £340. So it costs me a lot more to run the vessels, but um, the Marine Society and Sea Cadets believes that this is a good investment to make to provide that life-changing experience for that, that young person. So it's, it's a reasonable um, ask and the, charity, the bursary support will probably allow them to maybe um, contribute £75 themselves and have bursary support for the rest of it. But to get that £75 as a teenager, you've probably got to go out and pack a few bags, do a few paper rounds, help out in a few shops. So um, they don't get anything for free, but we try and make sure they all get a chance to get on the vessels. And a final question, how much does it roughly cost to operate the whole enterprise for a year my my budget and hopefully i'm not telling too many um secrets here my budget for the year is approximately a million and a half one and a half million pounds to run for a full season and and if everybody paid their 340 pounds i would probably take in five hundred thousand pounds so the the marine society and sea cadets is paying a million pounds a year to operate our vessels and i'm very glad they do it certainly seems like a really good enterprise yeah we've seen some fantastic results for young people and and that's really why we do it brilliant thanks andy that was fascinating that is pretty awesome what you do looking after five ships for 60 young people every week that is pretty pretty tough going i'm impressed i mean you've got ts royalist which is a a square rigger which gives 24 young people every week the chance to, to climb the rigging, to feel like what it was like to be at sea in the 18th and 19th century as sailors. That's pretty cool. And then you've got the two pocket battleships that take people out every week. So I guess that's another 24, 12 on each. And it feels like that they're on a, a proper Royal Naval patrol vessel and then you've got the two sailing yachts. I mean, the Rustler 42 is, is a world-renowned yacht. And for these young people to have the opportunity to sail on such fantastic ships is brilliant. So if you've enjoyed listening to this and you feel that you've got a few, few quid in your pocket to donate, I'm sure the charity will be overwhelmed to receive any anything that you could give. If you would like to donate... Their, their website is Marine Society and Sea Cadets. If you do a search for that, it comes up with a page, gives you all the information about what they are, what they do, where, where they've come from. And there's a link there to make a donation. Next time, I'm going to have somebody equally as interesting. So thank you for listening. Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. If you have the time, you can not only listen to the episodes, but you can also watch all the shows and you'll find the links in the description below. Thank you.